Mars 2194, Episode 1, King of Mars By Jack Stornoway Copyright 2016 Jack Stornoway The twenty-odd red concrete houses that formed the colony of Milankovitch Crater huddled, dwarfed and miserable, at the foot of the towering sand dunes in the center of the crater. The lofty circle of ruddy mountains far in the distance, with their sand-choked ravines and massive outcroppings of rust-red rocks, formed an enclosing wall as impassable as any Eve Johns had ever seen. There was only one road out of the crater, a ten-kilometer-long dust trail that ran up one of those ravines. They'd spotted it on approach, they always looked for exits when heading into a colony they didn't know. Even so, those crater walls were over 60 kilometers from the dunes at the center of the crater, and hundreds of kilometers from the next colony. Eve Johns had run it through her mind many times in the past couple weeks, and each time she had come to the same conclusion, it was hopeless. There was no way to escape on foot, even if she made her way to the rim, and up to the surface, she was still hundreds of kilometers from civilization. There was only one way to escape, by air. There were three aircraft in the crater, and all of these belonged to Tadeusz Warsawski. One was the airship that he used for occasional trips to Ciudad de Arcathia, to carry out ore and bring in supplies. There were also two Prospector autogyros, but they were far too small to reach much beyond the crater rim. Yet she had to escape, and immediately. Returning to the bedside, she looked down at her dying husband. Lovable, impractical, and a dreamer with an always restless heart, Ozzy Mac and Paired had never been able to remain still. Now, this isolated crater in a remote region of Mars had trapped him, and once there he could not leave. Two things were trapping them there. The first was his health which failed rapidly in the cold dreary world of Milankovitch Crater, where the long winter had set in, and the heat of the distant sun was hardly felt. If it been his health alone, Eve could have managed. The other problem was Tadeusz Warsawski. From the moment they disembarked their airship at the old Milankovitch colony landing pad, and Eve turned to look into the tiny hazel eyes of the short yet very muscular man, she had been frightened. Right then she asked her husband to leave, knowing that this was not a place that they should stay. He didn't see it, asking, why Eve? We just got here, and this is hundreds of kilometers from anywhere else. We can meet the locals, can't we? No Ozzy please. Let's go find somewhere else. Her husband had turned to face Tadeus, and his pale face smiled under the respirator mask. I'm afraid my wife doesn't like it here, he stated. Well, Tadeus replied. It is not so much a good place for women, that is true. But there is gadolinium here and so we are living here. Gadolinium? Eve's heart sank at the eagerness in her husband's voice. She wondered what he'd do if he found it. Nobody ever cared less for the idea of getting rich, but to her husband the concept of finding any precious metal was so much more than credit. It was history, destiny, fate, the reward that would somehow repair the life that Lady Luck had abandoned. There's gadolinium here? Ozzy asked. Yeah, a whole lot. Tadeus turned and waved a hand at the crater around them. This crater was made by a gadolinium-rich asteroid. It is the best source of gadolinium on Mars, maybe in the entire system. Was that why you came here? You can prospect if you want to, but KGHM Polska Mars has exclusive rights to mine the ore. Was there anxiety in the short man's voice? Eve looked at him again, and felt such revulsion that she could barely stand to be near him. Stalking along beside her husband, Tadeus had been dwarfed by Ozzy's huge body. Tadeus' face was thin and hawk-like under his thin brown beard. Wrinkles ran out in a network of tiny lines from the corners of both eyes, eyes that were small and cruel. His gloves were filthy, and his black thermal still suit and duster were covered with red dusty grime. Then she saw it, holstered to his right hip, a laser pistol. 
It wasn't until later that Eve wondered why none of the other people in the small colony had come out to greet the visitors. They couldn't get that many visitors out here. It would have made sense for them to want to trade, but no one came out. Eve did notice one pale emaciated woman looking out the window of one of the red concrete houses, who immediately closed the shutter when she saw Eve looking at her. Eve assumed the woman was shy. She should have known better. At midnight they were still at the bar with Tadeus. The bar was the only restaurant in the colony, although it looked like it had started out as a company cafeteria, and deteriorated into a bar over the decades. The bar was in the only large building at the colony, the old corporate station. Once it had been used for everything from a control tower to direct shuttles down from orbit, to a storehouse. Now it was called Warsawski's Station, home to Warsawski's Bar, and Suleiman's Trading Shop. Suleiman was the only other person they met that first night, an Arabian trader that lived with the colonists. He rarely spoke, but when Adeus and Suleiman shared a look Eve realized there was more being said silently than out loud. After the sunset, lights appeared in some of the red concrete buildings, but no one seemed to be interested in visiting the bar. Ozzy got unusually drunk on Colombian Aguardiente, which seemed to be the only alcohol in the bar, and then Tadeus offered the station's one and only hotel room above the bar to them for the night. Eve wanted to return to their bedroom in the airship, but Ozzy was having a difficult time figuring out which way was up, so she thanked Tadeus for his generosity, and helped Ozzy up the stairs. In retrospect that should have been her second clue, Ozzy was known to drink, but never to get completely wasted. Perhaps if she hadn't been drinking too it would have occurred to her that Tadeus might have spiked the with something stronger than alcohol. In the morning, their airship was gone. Eve had just woken up, when she looked out the window at the landing pad where the airship had been docked the night before and saw it wasn't there. Terror ripped through her like lightning. She jumped on Ozzy and started shaking him awake. Ozzy Mackinpaird's face went paler than usual when he saw the landing pad with just Tadeus's airship docked on it, and for the first time in a long time, he was afraid. They pulled on their still suits and respirator masks without bothering to grab their dusters and ran out to the landing pad looking frantically around in case the airship had drifted off. If it wasn't docked correctly it could have drifted off, but in over ten years of owning the airship Ozzy and Eve had never failed to dock it correctly. Tadeus came out of the station, rubbing his red eyes. What is wrong? Why are you running around out here? Our airship's gone. Ozzy yelled. My god man. What'll we do? What could have happened? Wind, maybe. If it was not docked right, maybe it drifted, Tadeus suggested. Or maybe a thief stole it. I will go see if anyone is missing from the colony. It is no good standing out here. Come in and we will eat. Then we go look for your airship with one of my auto gyros. It sounded right, but when Eve's eyes met Tadeus's she saw something else, something that looked like victory. Despite his obsession with precious metals, her husband was genuinely worried. Ozzy knew the rim walls were virtually impassable, and the lowlands beyond were treacherous. Walking to the next colony was impossible. By the end of the day, they realized that the airship was gone, and they were not going to find it. None of the colonists were missing, and so did Deus surmised it must have drifted off. The wind had been blowing to the southeast, and they surveyed the crater to the southeast as far as the rim wall. The autogyros weren't able to scout further, and Tadeus insisted that if it drifted out of the crater it could be hundreds of kilometers away. There was no chance of finding it even if they searched in his airship, which he did not have time to do. Could you fly us down to Ciudad de Arcadia? Ozzy suggested that evening. You have an airship, and we can't stay here. I have credit at my bank in Surinam. I could get access to it in Ciudad de Arcadia. Get us there and I'll pay you well. All right, Tadeus replied thoughtfully. But you will have to wait until I go for supplies. 
A couple weeks, maybe. The weeks passed and Tadeus said nothing about leaving. Ozzy had lost track of the days, prospecting in the region south of the dunes. Tadeus had said the region north of the dunes was thoroughly mined out during the corporate era, but if Ozzy found any deposits to the south of the dunes, Tadeus would see that KGHM Pulse Kamars gave him a 5% royalty. Ozzy and Eve had moved into one of the old abandoned red concrete houses, as it turned out only about half the houses in the small village were still inhabited. The solar panels installed in the roof still worked, so they just needed to jumpstart the house's oxygen recycler with some algae from their respirator masks. It took almost a week for the house's oxygen recycler to grow enough algae to get the oxygen levels in the house high enough that they could remove their respirator masks. It took longer to warm the old house up. It was winter in the northern hemisphere, and the only source of energy the house had was its solar panels. The walls of the old red concrete house had electrical heating built in, but the solar panels weren't receiving enough light to heat the house to much above freezing. About a week after they arrived in Milankovitch Crater, Ozzy started to complain about a strange electric feeling in his skin. A couple days later he was incapacitated in his bed, unable to move due to shooting pain in his muscles. There was no doctor in Milankovitch Crater, but the priest came to their house to check on Ozzy. He lived in the old corporate-era Catholic church, however he didn't appear to have any formal training. He said Ozzy's condition looked like gadolinium poisoning. It was a condition that sometimes affected minors, and should subside in a few days. I'm sorry, Eve, Ozzy said after the priest left. When I get well, we'll get out of here and I'll make it up to you. He coughed, and his teeth started chattering. Get some rest honey she replied. He smiled and relaxed, breathing more easily. She sat there in the cold, a 32-year-old woman who had failed in life, and fled with her husband, a lifelong prospector, to end up here in a virtually abandoned crater in one of Mars' most remote areas. Her parents had been British colonists that had settled in Serenium Colony, halfway around the planet. Her husband's parents had been the same, and she'd met him in Serenium when they were in Ikaria College. Ozzy and her both had an interest in the early prospectors, although in Ozzy's case it was more of an obsession. Those early explorers who worked for the corporations before the Mars Treaty had divided the planet into colonial zones. They who explored an unknown world with no hopes of help if they ran into problems. It was a romantic notion, an unreal concept of Mars only a century earlier. Unfortunately, as obsessed as he was with the early prospectors, Ozzy never seemed to find a great stake of his own. For more than a decade, they'd searched the isolated regions of the planet, but everywhere they went, someone had beaten them there. They'd lived in the old Russian airship they'd bought real cheap in Daedalia, as the revolutionaries drove the Russian government from Mars. They'd lived on that airship for more than a decade, and now it was gone. Ozzy Mack and Paired had made his fair share or poor decisions, and he'd never had much luck either, but he always met the morning with a smile, and fixed his eyes on the horizon. Ozzy had planned the trip north to explore the lowlands, as they'd spent almost a decade floating across the southern highlands and had little to show for it. They'd prospected at various places as they moved north of the equator, but found nothing of consequence. If they could find a major deposit of a rare metal they could sell the location to one of the mining corporations in Ciudad de Marte, and they'd be set up for the rest of their lives. It was the dream of every prospector. But now they were stranded here in this dismal crater, and Ozzy was very sick. Eve put her husband to bed and went to the station for medicine. Medicine? Suleiman asked. We don't have much medicine. I can get you something for the pain, and some vitamins. If he starts vomiting we have something for that or for diarrhea. Not much else. Tadeus came into the shop and Suleiman wandered off to a storeroom to get some painkillers. Despite her dislike of the man, 
she forced herself to stand still, but couldn't look Tadeus in the eye. You know, Tadeus broke the silence. You and me should be friends. The winters here are very cold and very long, more than an earth year long. In the storeroom Suleiman started chuckling. That won't be happening Mr. Warsawski. When my husband gets better, we'll leave. And if he does not get better? A jolt of fear shot through Eve. He will, she said firmly. He'll get well, and then we'll leave. Maybe, Tadeus said grinning at her, his teeth yellow and broken. If I take you to Suthothde Arkathia. But, maybe I will just keep you here. More workers is a good thing. That's ridiculous. Eve looked directly at him for the first time since he'd entered. You couldn't get away with that. What about the authorities? The Sudamericans? Tadeus laughed with genuine amusement. They do not come here. This is a corporate mining zone from before the Mars Treaty. We are autonomous. Do you know why the people here don't talk to you? Because I told them not to. Do you know why they stay here at this mine? Because they cannot get away either. They are mining gadolinium for me and Suleiman and they are not even paid. I feed them, and Suleiman ships the gadolinium back to Arabia without the Sudamericans in Ciudad de Arcathia, or anybody in Europe even knowing. KGHM Polska Mars went bankrupt decades ago. I pay no taxes. In this place I am a king. And these are my subjects. And now you are my subject also. This place is so far from the other colonies that nobody ever comes here, and nobody ever leaves. Two days later Ozzy was dead. He died suddenly in the night, but was rational until the end. The evening before he died, he told Eve something he had been keeping to himself. It seemed he knew he was going to die. Eve, I know what happened to the airship. Today you stowed it away. He hid it on the north side of the dunes. One of the miners told me that last day prospecting. It's all right Ozzy, we'll find it, she said gently. The thought of the distant rim walls that trapped them filled her with horror. In all of Mars, there could be no more desolate place than this crater out in the northern lowlands. We'll manage, she whispered, but she knew he was dying. They buried Ozzy Mac and Paired in the old Catholic cemetery dating from the corporate era at the edge of the colony. The priest gave a eulogy in Polish. Most of the miners were at the funeral, there wasn't much the way of entertainment in the crater. It became clear that no one in the crater wanted much to do with her. They were all thin, obviously malnourished and terrified of Tadeusz and Suleiman. She found out that there were only ten men and six women in the colony. Four of the men were Sudamericans, and six were Polish, descendants of the old corporate mining colony. The six women were all Polish except one, a Persian woman from the old Iranian mining colony in Hyperborea, far to the north. The Sudamerican man and Iranian woman had been hired by Tadeusz since Yudhat de Arkathia. Homeless people with no family, and no one to miss them. After the funeral, Eve talked with the miners while Tadeusz and Suleiman ignored her. Tadeus and Suleiman had the only weapons in the colony. Besides the laser pistol that Tadeus always carried, he and Suleiman had sonic blasters, and Suleiman also had a laser rifle. She found out that Tadeus had killed a man just a week before she had arrived with Ozzy. Eve realized Tadeus's greatest fear as she spoke to the few miners that would talk to her. She remembered Tadeus's anxiety that first night when Ozzy and her had arrived. Here in his little kingdom. He ruled supreme while the miners slaved for him and depended on him for food and water. He controlled the only means of escape, as well as the only source of food, drugs, and liquor. He had complete control. Most of the miners didn't even have a still suit, they wore homemade clothes sewn together from the carbon fiber sacks the food came in. Several even shared old respirator masks, meaning only one could go outside at a time. What about the autogyros? She asked a miner named Daryush. 
Couldn't you steal one and get away? No chance. He answered. Warsawski's airship is faster than any of the autogyros, and he would catch us before we made it to the rim walls. Besides, where could we go on the supplies we have? We are a long way from any other colonies. During the morning before her husband's burial, she tried to remember exactly what the map display in the airship had shown when they'd landed. The crater was in the northeast sector of Arcadia Colony, and far to the south was Marte Colony. There wasn't much else on the chart. The northern lowlands were never-ending sea of sand dunes occasionally pockmarked by the odd crater. It was nothing like the rugged highlands where Ozzy and her were from. A dust storm blew into the crater as the funeral service was finishing. She started walking away as soon as the frail old priest finished the eulogy. When the grave had been filled to Deus found her in the bar talking with a few miners. They disappeared as he approached. Get your things together, Tadeus ordered. You are moving in with me. The day had been emotional enough, and Tadeus was the last thing she needed. It didn't take much to bring her to tears, but she intentionally milked it for all it was worth. Oh, not now. Please. She sobbed hysterically. My husband just died. My husband. My Ozzy. She made the most unappealing spectacle of herself she could, and finally, disgusted, Tadeus shrugged it off. Fine, tomorrow then, he declared and trudged her way. Eve was packing up her husband's still suit a few hours later when she found the knife. He must have planned to use it himself because he hadn't mentioned it to her. She didn't recognize the knife. It wasn't from the airship, which meant he had acquired it since they'd landed. It was bright and gleaming, and obviously hadn't been lying out in sandstorms. The thought filled her with excitement. If one of the miners had given him a knife, she might have an ally in the colony, someone else who wanted to escape. How could she figure out who it was? The knife gave her courage. The thought of killing Tadeus came to mind, but she dismissed the idea immediately. He was too strong, and he wore an insulated carbon fiber suit that would be difficult to stab through. Then she remembered the drugs. Her husband had landed prepared to trade, carrying a small satchel of cocaine, and a few cartons of marijuana and tobacco cigarettes. The drugs were legal in the Sud-American colonies, and common enough in the major centers, but out here invaluable. She had seen how avidly the miners clutched the tiny packets of marijuana and tobacco cigarettes that Tadeus passed out. Maybe that was how her husband got the knife. For a long time she wondered about the rim walls of the crater and the vast flat lowlands beyond. If she could manage to steal an autogyro, she could probably get to the other side of the dunes, and there hopefully she could find her airship. She wouldn't need food or water to get that far. The thought of the time it would take to find her airship versus the time it would take for Tadeus to catch up in his airship worried her. She doubted she could do it, but she had to try. Eve turned off her light to go to bed, but before she got to her bed, the airlock chime sounded. Eve approached the airlock cautiously not wanting to make a sound in case it was Tadeus. She looked through the airlock view screen and saw one of the ragged colonists standing outside. Mrs. Eve Johns? This is Gul Nazrin. You have marijuana? The colonist asked as Eve opened the airlock. Gul Nazrin was the Persian woman from the old Iranian mining colony in Hyperborea far to the north. Eve remembered Gul Nazrin from the funeral. She remembered Gul Nazrin's eyes as she turned away, and how they had seemed compassionate. Yes, I have marijuana. Come in out of the cold. I cannot stay. Gul Nazrin said stepping into the airlock. He will come soon. He cannot see me here. He will kill me. Gul Nazrin, can you get me out of here? Can you? Please. The Persian woman was silent. Can you get me to our airship? My husband was told it was anchored on the north side of the dunes. The dunes? Yes. Your airship is there. I saw it while prospecting. 
There was sudden eagerness in Golnazrin's voice. Eve was almost frantic. Yes Golnazrin. Take me to my airship and I'll give you all the marijuana on board. Can we take an autogyro? No, the autogyros are too loud, the finality of Golnazrin's voice was a blow to Eve. Maybe we can walk, are you fast? Can you walk fast? Can you climb? Yes, definitely. Eve replied, how long would it take on foot? The airlock chimed again, and Golnazrin slipped into the closet next to the airlock where Eve's still suit was hanging. The lights were still off, and Eve quietly slipped into bed. A light shone in the window, and a minute later the airlock outer door opened, then the inner door, and Tadeus was in her house. Eve heard Tadeus's feet walk across the room, then she felt him staring down at her, breathing roughly. His rank body odor was unmistakable. He stood listening, and she kept her breathing deep and regular, hoping he would not try to wake her, for more than one reason. She had the knife in her hand, but doubted it would help. Suddenly a light flashed on her face. After a minute of examination, he turned it off and walked away. Eve lay rigid listening to the airlock doors open and close, before she got up. Before she got to the airlock Golnazrin stepped out of the closet and whispered, I take you to the airship, and you give me the marijuana, yes? Eve quickly put on her still suit. She pulled on her duster and thrust the knife into her still suit pocket. It was only a few minutes before they exited the airlock, and Golnazrin pulled her towards the dark dunes. The two moved rapidly into the darkness. Almost before she realized it, they were working their way across the red rocks, rising from the drifting sands. Golnazrin was jumping quickly from rocky outcropping to outcropping. Eve had a problem keeping up, and then missed a rock and landed in the sand. She sank up to her waist in the loose dusty sand, and Golnazrin turned back to help pull her out. You must be careful, Golnazrin stated as she pulled Eve onto the rock she was kneeling on. You can sink right into this sand past your head. Eve knew why Golnazrin was traveling by rocks, but she wasn't used to this type of travel. There were no sand seas up in the highlands where she'd spent most of her life. Although she knew about the sand traps, she'd never fallen into one before. She didn't bother responding to Golnazrin's suggestion that she be careful. There didn't seem to be anything to say to that. She followed Golnazrin across the rocky outcroppings, going slower and more cautiously. Golnazrin seemed somewhat annoyed by their slow progress, but Eve didn't want to fall into the sand again. They reached the end of the rocky outcroppings they'd been on, and nothing but sand stood between them and the dunes. Golnazrin turned back to Eve and said, follow me exact, or you fall in. Then she started out across the sand, sinking knee-deep into the ruddy dust. Eve had no idea how long they struggled and fought through the knee-deep sand. Time and again she slipped in the sand, as if they were walking along the top of a rocky outcropping just beneath the sand, a rocky outcropping that sank in each direction. She managed to catch herself each time she slipped, but each time Golnazrin paused and turned back. They were clearly making terrible time. Eve kept going, fighting with the strength of desperation in every step. Suddenly, rocks emerged from the sand in front of them, and Golnazrin was climbing up onto them. Once on the rocks Eve turned to look back, and realized they were partway around the dunes. The colony was no longer in view, and she was amazed they'd already traveled that far. Before them. Another string of rocks broke through the sand leading out of view. Overhead, Phobos was high and provided some light on the rocks ahead of them, but the Persian woman wasn't looking at the moon or the sand dunes. She was moving swiftly out across the rocks bounding relentlessly. From time to time she glanced back. Was she expecting to deus so soon? They made better progress now. Golnazrin did not waste time. She led swiftly and Eve almost lost view of her many times. The Persian woman was obviously terrified. Leaving the rocks behind, Golnazrin led Eve along a steep, 
sandy path leading up the dunes. Once they started to climb the sand became firmer, and soon they were only sinking ankle deep. Eve knew they were running out of time when she saw the eastern horizon was beginning to glow orange. Despite the night of travel, she had the feeling they hadn't gotten far enough. From time to time Gul Nazrin stopped. She looked ahead but appeared to be listening for something. Eve was fighting exhaustion now. Not only had they encountered the roughest travel she had ever known, but they had also kept a pace she was not used to. Yet the Persian woman showed no evidence of fatigue and no intention of slowing down. It was clear she knew if they were caught, Eve might be taken back to the colony, but she would be shot on the spot. Golnazrin turned now, changing her course to proceed more directly north, but her eyes continued to watch toward her left. Was the fact that they had to go down the sand dunes what Golnazrin feared? Tadeus could guess their route or maybe follow their tracks. He could use the airship to come around the dunes and head them off. It would be easy enough to do, and in as little as an hour he could render their night of struggle pointless. The ridge they had been following dipped sharply down into a fantastic sandy gorge. Here the rocks were scarce, and Golnazrin started sliding down the gorge. Eve realized that the slide was intentional, and followed suit. It only took a few minutes to reach the floor of the crater, where they slid into the sand up to their knees. Ahead of them was another stretch of rocks leading off towards the west. They clambered onto the rocks as the sun burst over the eastern horizon. The rocks curved sharply to the left in front of them, but remained low allowing them to move quickly. In the daylight she understood Golnazrin's urgency, there was no cover here. If Warsawski's airship passed over, there would be nowhere to hide. Golnazrin started moving fast again, with only a glance back at Eve, nearly running wherever the rocks were even enough to permit it. At times they had to climb over great tumbled masses of red boulders, or walk cautiously across sand-smoothed rocks, some of them covered with encroaching sand drifts. They came around the edge of a sand dune, and their Eve's airship sat with the carbon nanotube envelope folded down onto the roof of the gondola. Eve's heart sank, Tadeus had deflated the airship, it would take hours to get it into the sky. Your airship, Golnazrin stated as they started towards it. You give me marijuana on the airship? The old Russian airship was sitting in a deep canyon that the wind had carved into the north face of the sand dunes. A good place to hide an airship Eve realized, but a difficult spot for her to pilot out of, even with Golnazrin's help. The airship would have to be floated straight up out of the canyon before it could be turned into the wind. A strong gust could blow the airship into the canyon wall before they cleared it. It wasn't going to be easy. Eve ran across the rocks and shallow sand to the airship. When she got to the airship she ran up the ramp into the cargo bay that Tadeus must have left open. The airship was powered down, and the airlocks left open, exposing the interior to the frozen Martian air. Eve quickly made her way to the cockpit to check the fuel cell status, 100% charged. Good. You can take us away now? Golnazrin asked. Eve could see that Golnazrin was more terrified now that they had reached their destination. Terrified because, unlike the stretches of sand and rock, this was a place where Tadeus would definitely look for them. She thought of the difficult job of floating up out of the canyon, of how the airship could get pushed sideways into the canyon walls by even a strong breeze. She realized how impossible it would be to get it fixed out here. The sun was already above the horizon, they didn't have time to waste. I can try, Eve decided. The thought of the canyon walls frightened her. She had spent many years flying this airship all over the southern hemisphere, but never without her husband. She took a deep breath and reached out for the switch to start pumping hydrogen into the air chambers above. Nothing happened. She tried again. The moment she touched the console, she heard it. Off in the distance, but not distant enough, was the low rumble of airship engines. It had to be Tadeus's airship. She turned, 
and saw it through the cockpit window drifting into view above the canyon wall. Quick, we must hide, she said to Gul Nazrin, but the Persian woman was already headed for the ramp. She hit the sand and ran for the rocks. Eve, desperate to know why the airship pumps didn't start up, opened the console and glanced into the circuitry inside. The neural processor had been pulled out, and without it, the airship was dead. Tadeus had made sure that no one was taking the airship out of the crater, at least not without his approval. She closed the console and ran. Outside the window, she saw Gulnazrin moving frantically across the rocks. She was leaping across a sandy stretch when the laser beam cut her in two. Tadeus's airship was drifting down towards them, and standing on the lowered ramp was Suleiman, holding his laser rifle. Gulnazrin! Eve screamed instinctively, but it was too late. She had already seen Golnazarin fly into two parts. She thought quickly about the situation. Tadeus's airship was landing behind hers, and Suleiman would cut her down if she ran for it. She had to hide. They couldn't know for sure she was there. She ran to the bedroom. Tadeus and Suleiman hadn't found the stash yet, the door was still closed. She reached for the hidden button, and popped the door open. Fortunately it was entirely mechanical, as Ozzy had been paranoid about DNA sensors. She stepped into the closet-sized stash Ozzy and her had built to protect their assets from overzealous colonial inspectors. Everything was still there so Tadeus and Suleiman clearly hadn't found it. She heard the sound of footsteps running up the ramp as she slid the stash door closed, inside she turned on a small lamp that they kept for emergencies. Around her were the drugs her and Ozzy had been using as currency, some more samples they'd collected, and their rail gun. She quietly picked up the rail gun and turned it on. The electromagnetic field caused her skin to itch inside the still suit. It was fortunate that Ozzy insisted they always kept it loaded, because loading the mag made a loud clicking sound, and Suleiman's voice was suddenly in the bedroom right outside the stash. She's not in here either. Suleiman shouted. She has to be, Tadeus's voice called back from what Eve assumed was the cockpit. A few seconds later his voice sounded from the bedroom, why would Golnazrin come here by herself? She could not know how to fly an airship. Maybe she was just looking for things to steal, Suleiman suggested. Probably drugs, I think they gave her some a few days ago, she has not been coming around at night. If she did not come out here with Golnazrin, then where is she? Tadeus demanded. Maybe she sank in the sand, Suleiman suggested. She could be hiding here somewhere, Tadeus stated. Where? This airship is tiny, there isn't even a full cargo hold, Suleiman argued. Yes. Tadeus seemed to agree hesitantly, we will come back here with a plasma torch, and cut up this ship. If she is hiding here we will find her. You do not want to sell the airship? Suleiman asked. No, too many questions, Warsawski answered. And we cannot have two airships here in the crater, the workers will escape. Yes, we should get back and make sure they are working, Suleiman stated. And make sure she is not back there trying to organize an escape. Yes, if she is here. There is no way that Highlander bitch can find her way back around the dunes. I think we'll kill. Tadeus's voice trailed off, and a few minutes later Eve heard the dull roar of Tadeus's airship engines come to life, and then drift away. Eve stepped out of the stash into the bedroom, and then crept to the window. Tadeus's airship was floating over the canyon wall and was soon out of sight. Highlander bitch? Eve repeated to herself. We'll see about that. Eve started to laugh. She was standing in her home of the past decade an airship that might as well be dead. The only way she could get it functional again was to make it back to the colony, across sandpits that could swallow her whole, 
and then get the neural processor back from today's before the computers starve to death, and before the algae in the in the airship's oxygen recyclers and fuel cells starved. From somewhere inside her there came a deep swell of emotion, and she screamed. Some of it was from the loss of her husband. Some of it was fear of these terrible people. Some of it was just anger. Most of it was a nameless emotion, something primal, the feeling that an animal might have, when after being chased into a corner, it turns to attack its predator. That emotion, when not only does it need to fight, but a switch in its mind has been thrown, and now it wants to fight. After she screamed, she sat down, and thought about the situation. If she stayed at the airship, she'd either freeze or starve. She decided to begin back to the colony at once, and travel as far as she could before the sunset. She slung the railgun over her shoulder and headed for the door. Morning found Tadeus waking up in pain. He had clumsily fallen off one of the rock outcroppings that Golnazrin and Eve had negotiated in their escape the previous day. Tadeus had twisted his knee, and now the swelling had become serious and excruciating. He took a swallow from a bottle of aguardiente he'd half finished the night before and limped to the station airlock. He stepped out into the brilliant dawn that caused him to close his eyes, waiting for them to adjust to the light. Today he and Suleiman would have to finish what that damn woman had started. Regardless of the pain that shot through him every time he took a step, regardless of the hangover pounding in his temples, he'd find Eve Johns, and if he couldn't make her come back with him, he'd kill her. He'd eventually kill her anyway, but it would be more fun if he brought her back alive. He surveyed the massive dunes to the north. Time to get moving. He shook his head, trying to clear it, but that movement made his vision blur. Suddenly Tadeus's legs fell out from under him and he went face first into the sand. He lurched around, trying to get up even as the sonic booms of the railgun rounds echoed back from the sand dunes. Looking down, he saw blood streaming from holes where his knees had been. His still suit was ripped open, and his legs below the knee were missing. He pulled his laser pistol from his hip. Eve stepped out from behind one of the red concrete houses, the sights of her railgun trained on Tadeus. Suleiman charged out of the station airlock, sonic blaster in hand, and Eve shot a burst of holes through his torso. Then she started towards them both. Tadeus started to raise his laser pistol, but Eve spoke before he could aim it, don't do it. I won't kill you if you toss it. Tadeus was clearly trying to raise the pistol, but lost consciousness, and the pistol fell into the sand. Eve picked up the pistol, and then walked over to Suleiman's body and picked up the sonic blaster. She eventually found the neural processor in Tadeus's airship. It wasn't until she turned on the engines for Tadeus's airship that some of the miners came out to see what had happened. She went to the cargo bay and lowered the ramp. I'll leave this airship in the canyon on the far side of the dunes, she shouted to them as they approached Tadeus. They looked up at her as she turned and disappeared back into the airship. The last time she looked back, they had walked over to where Tadeus and Suleiman lay in the sand. They had picked up rocks, and as Eve turned her attention back to the airship controls they fell savagely onto the King of Mars and his business partner. 